you got a thing in the middle here. Yeah, somehow. Um, hey, I want to I wanna thank Tane for doing slides today. Uh, I love it. I love it. We got, we got people uh, young and less young who are taking part this morning. Uh, isn't this fun? Are we, are, we, are we having fun? Yeah, singing Christmas carols. When Tim and I get to the Advent season, we're like, hey, you can't go wrong. Just pick one of the normal Christmas carols, right? You're bound to sing somebody's favorite. And then we get to hear about people's nativities. This is just great. My guess is that uh, those nativities, just a guess, that the overwhelming majority of the ones that you'll hear about uh, had been packed up up until, you know, maybe two, three weeks ago, uh, maybe just this last week in saran wrap, not saran wrap, that's the wrong thing, bubble wrap, saran, wow, this is going to be really good today, bubble wrap, styrofoam peanuts, I call it ghost poo, um, and they were in a box, Right? I mean, that's why they were protected. And then they took them out. I know that, I know Mike's was in a box because the box is up in my office. Um, my guess is the others were. Uh, and my guess also is that come like January 3, 4, 5, they get wrapped back up, not in saran wrap, but in bubble wrap and in styrofoam, peanuts, uh, and they get put back into a box. Correct? Track it with me? Do we try and put God in a box do we try and put God in a box? I see a couple of people brave enough to say like, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the dangers of regular church attendance. It's one of the risks of studying theology. Uh, we try and put God into categories, into little spheres that we can understand in our own minds, right? We try to create God in our own image instead of us into his image. But I shouldn't have to say it, but I'll say it. We can't put God in a box. Someone can say amen. amen. Hey, thank you. That was, that was well-timed. We can't put God in a box. So why do we try and do this? I got a couple of ideas as to why. And I'm wondering if when God first started building relationship with people, right? When he first started saying, I want to I be more deeply connected to you. I, I wonder if during the majority of the Old Testament days when God was walking with the people he called his chosen people, you know, he showed up in a box. And I wonder if that's why we try and do it. God showed up in a box. If you're not catching on, I'm talking about the Ark of the Covenant, Mmm. Go ahead, say mmm. It's like you're having Christmas cookies this morning. The Ark of the Covenant. This past summer, I was rereading a book from one of my favorite professors, A.J. Swoboda. The book is called A Glorious Dark, and on page 118, he says this. In the Old Testament, the Jews carried around with them this masterpiece of a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. This is the only time in the Bible that God was in a box, he writes. As I read that line and the lines that followed and the pages that followed, the seeds for this Advent series were planted, and they have slowly begun to grow. Now, if this series is awesome, and it's one you remember for years and years, I texted my professor this past week and said, hey, I'm going to give you all the credit for it, okay? And he's good with that. If it's terrible, it was my idea, <laughs> all right? God in a box, a renewed look at the nativity. Let's pray and see if we can have a little bit more fun. 
God, thank you for opportunities to look at things, to look at the story that some of us have heard for decades a new way. I pray that as we look at this idea of God in a box, a renewed look at the nativity, you would help us see it afresh, and you would make this Christmas one that we remember. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So grab a Bible. Uh, or a phone or a tablet, whatever you use to get to God's Word, and a turn to a very non-traditional Christmas text, Exodus chapter 25. Now, as you're turning there, let me set the stage as to what's going on in the context of this passage. Uh, in the beginning, God created. And apart from everything we see and don't think he, see, He created humanity, which He looked at us and He said, they are very good. It's okay, you can talk back. When I go like this, go ahead and talk back. They are very Good, good. Now we're working. Uh, God made humanity to be in relationship with himself, but uh, humanity chose to go a different direction. They chose to sin and breach the relationship with God. Now, from that moment on, God was in the process of restoring that breached relationship to himself. Now, here's the long story short. God did that through a man named Abraham and his family. Told them, hey, I'm, you're going to be my people, and I'll be your God, and so on and so forth. Uh, so God's chosen people became known as the Israelites, and here's, here's their, their ebb and flow. They followed God, but then they didn't follow God. And then they followed God, and then they didn't follow God, and then they... And then they did... Oh, you guys are catching on. Good stuff. Wow. Eventually, the people found themselves enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, when they've been crying out for God to send them a deliverer, and God sent a man named Moses, and Moses said, let my people, oh, you know that one. Thank you, Charlton Heston. Miracles, plagues, eventual freedom. God met the people at Mount Sinai. He gave them the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, and then he gave Moses a bunch of instructions as to things they should build, starting with a, you know, with a tent that they'd call the tabernacle, and then other artifacts they should build to go into the tabernacle. And the first thing God told them to build was a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 to 22, a passage you may have never heard at Christmas time. Have the people make an ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. Overlay it inside and outside with pure gold and run a molding of gold all around it. Cast four gold rings, attach them to its four feet, two rings on each side, make poles from acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. You guys know why it was acacia wood? Interesting story. Come and ask me afterwards. Insert, <laughs> insert the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. These carrying poles must stay inside the rings, never remove them. When the ark is finished, place inside it the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give you. Then make the ark's cover, the place of atonement, from a pure gold. It must be 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Then make two cherubim from hammered gold and place them on the two ends of the atonement cover. Mold the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all one piece of gold." The cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above it, they will protect it. Verse 21, place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give you. Then put the atonement cover on top of the ark. 
I will meet with you there and talk with you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover above the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. How's that for a Christmas text at its finest? God in a box. A very fancy, gold-wrapped, solid gold-topped box. And this box, this ark, if I call it box or if I call it ark, I'm meaning the same two things. From the moment it was built, was pivotal in the history of the Israelite people. God would meet with Moses and talk to Moses, where? From the box. Numbers chapter 7, verse 89, whenever Moses went into the tabernacle to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the ark's cover, the place of atonement that rests on the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord spoke to him from there. Now, not only did God speak to Moses from the Ark, everywhere the Israelites went, the Ark went first. Numbers chapter 11, verse 34. As they moved on each day, the cloud hovered, above the, uh, uh, hovered over them, and whenever the Ark was sent out, Moses would shout, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. And when the Ark was set down... He would say, return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. So everywhere the ark went, the people went. Before the people left, the ark went first. Okay, eventually the box led them across the river into the land that was promised to them. That's Joshua chapter 3. The box led them around this city called Jericho six days once and on the seventh day seven times around before the walls came tumbling. Yeah, you learned that one in Sunday school. Very good. Joshua 6, the box was stolen by the Philistines for a while. Wasn't a good time. First Samuel 6, and when the uh, Israelites were trying to bring it back, it started to rock a little bit, and a guy named Uzzah reached out, put his hand on it, and dropped dead. We don't like that story, so we won't tell it over Christmas time. Okay, King David eventually went and did bring the box all the way back into Jerusalem. This story we do like because he danced in his holy underwear. That's Second Samuel chapter 6. And after years of good kings and bad kings, kings that followed God, kings that didn't follow God, we come to this young king, eight years old, named Josiah, and he once again brings the ark back to the people. And he says, we're going to practice the Passover, but we're going to make sure the ark is here with us. And this is the last time we see the ark in the chronicles of the Israelite people. Because the Babylonians come in 586 and they destroy everything, and the ark has not been seen since. No matter what Raiders of the Ark, Lost Ark says. <laughs> the box was extremely pivotal in the history of the Israelite people. Allow me to finish the sentence from my professor, because I just wrote you one or two sentences. Let me finish his paragraph. In the Old Testament, the Jews carried around with them this masterpiece of a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. This is the only time in the Bible that God was in a box. But he really wasn't in a box. It was a sign of his presence, not a container for it. The ark's meaning was ingrained in Israel's religious conscience, uh, Swoboda continues, and it continuously marked the presence of the living God among them. The ark symbolized for Israel the very presence of God among the people in all their travels to remind them that he was with them no matter where they went. If they were in the desert... Uh, God was there. God was there, okay? Now, if they were at war, God was there. If they were in Jerusalem, God was there. The ark symbolized the embodied presence of the God of the universe with them. So see, God in a box. 
Or maybe more accurately said, God's embodied presence in a box. Or I suppose if we're getting technical, we should say that it was God's embodied presence on top of a box. Because someone's going to come up to me after service and say, God wasn't really in the box, James. Exodus 25, verse 22. You're right. He was on top of the box. I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that will hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. Okay, so on top of the lid and between the gold cherubim. This detail is important because it comes up again in Scripture several times. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 2, another story. David led them to Baal um, of Judah to bring back the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned, say this with me, between the cherubim. You didn't know what I was going to say. So next time I say, say it with me, it's between the cherubim. Okay? Psalm 80, verse 1, please listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants above the flock, O God, enthroned between the cherubim, display your radiant glory. Psalm 99, verse 1, I'm not going to read you all the places, just two more. The Lord is king, let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. And the prophet Isaiah, it was actually Hezekiah who was praying, O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, you are enthroned. That's right. Between the mighty cherubim, you alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. So God's presence on top of the box, between the cherubim. What were the cherubim? Yeah, that's what you think angels. That's what most people think. I could take you on a slight tour of where cherubim show up in the Bible. First time is in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve get kicked out. There's a flaming sword. I just like to say sword with the W. Okay, and there's also cherubim there. Genesis 3, you can check me on that. Uh, Cherubim were sewn into the curtains of the tabernacle. That's 1 Kings 6. They were even God's favorite car. God's favorite vehicle. There we go. Psalm 18, verse 10. That's not the right passage. There we go. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, which is why we always think that it's angels, but the word is actually cherub. Mounted on a cherub, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. So what exactly are cherubim? We don't know for sure. There's all sorts of theories. There's all sorts of speculation. Most of us think it was some sort of angelic creature because in Exodus 25, what we see from the text we're camping out in today is that there were two wings that were hovering and there were faces that were faced down. Presumably so that when God's presence was hovering above them, they would not look directly at God's presence because when that happened, it wasn't good. Exodus chapter 25, verse 20. The cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above it, they will protect it. So what were they? We don't know. But we know that anytime they show up in the Old Testament, it's around and surrounding God's presence. Okay? Let that sink in. Anytime cherubim are talked about, God's presence is also talked about. So God in a box, excuse me, God on top of a box, uh, 
in between two winged, probably angelic, so we could go with angels, that's fine, uh, two winged cherubim, God's presence. You with me? So what in the world does this have to do with Christmas, with Advent, with the nativity, a renewed look at the nativity? When you look at the traditional nativity set, not necessarily the Lego one, although the Lego one's accurate, I looked, when you look at a traditional nativity set, you normally see an angel or two on the roof, don't you? Now, my guess is that you've always thought those are the angels from the fields. My guess is that you thought, just like I thought, that when the angels came in the fields, like, you know, hey, guys, the uh, you know, Messiah's glories, all that good stuff, then, then the angels led the way as the shepherds were running. Well, if you read the text, verse 15 actually says the angels went back up into heaven. I didn't realize that until this morning. So, um, but, you know, we sang the song about the angels, right? Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through uh, what Elena read this morning. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Glory, that's a good word. We'll come back to it next week. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others and the armies of heaven praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on just making sure you're still listening. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And the angels led the way for the shepherds right to the front door of the... Well, when the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said, let's go check this out. I used to always think that the angels on top of all the nativities that I saw were the angels from the field. But what if? What if the two angels on top of the lid of the nativity point us back to the cherubim on top of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Hmm. What if these winged creatures on top of... Eric, if I... What if these winged creatures are supposed to remind us of God's presence like they did in the Old Testament? Could this be a renewed look at the nativity? Could Mary be the new ark? Remember the significance of the box for the Israelites? It was God's presence with them. The prophet Isaiah was prophesying about uh, the coming Messiah when he says, and this one is a traditional Advent text, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Gospel writer Matthew, when he was telling the story of Jesus, quoted that same text. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Jesus as God's presence with us. Just like this gold-coated box with cherubim on the top was God's presence with Israel, that's the way the Advent story starts. And just like in the Old Testament, wherever the people went, the box went first, 
Jesus does the same. If you remember the last thing Jesus said after the entire story was told in the Gospel of Matthew, so Matthew 1 started with, hey, here's his name, God with us. The last thing Jesus says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. God with us. Mary as the new ark, angels on top of the nativity as the cherubim who are reminding us of God's presence, perhaps reminding us of the ark of the covenant of God in a box. Now, we know we can't put God in a box. We know that. But in looking at the ark of the covenant as this symbolic presence of God's uh, symbolic presence of God's presence uh, on top of the box, we can be reminded that in Jesus, God is with us always, both in the biblical narrative and still in our life today. Huh. Two winged creatures, wings outstretched over the nativity, reminding us of God's presence. How's that for a renewed look at the nativity? This week, no, let me, let me expand it out. This month, as you are going about your life, as you see nativity sets, because you will probably see one or two or more, if you see an angel on top, I would encourage you, pause for long enough to say thank you, God, for your presence with us in the story in here, but even now. When you see the angel on top, whether it's in a store, whether it's in your neighbor's front yard, whether it's on your favorite nativity, on a shelf at home, pause long enough to say, thank you, God, for your presence with us. Will you do that with me? Let's pray. God's so familiar with the story that it's